Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and lovely autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This week we watched Rosewood, Season 1, Episode 18, titled Thorax, Thrombosis, and Threesomes. That's right, threesomes. We'll be talking a lot about bodies discovered in water and more private autopsies. So, let's get into it. We open on a man running on the beach and he stumbles upon a $100 bill. And then another... And then another. How come that never happens when I go for a run? Right? All these people always find good things, money, and then he also, he does find bodies. He finds a body on his run, which is our dream. I want to find a dead body. Maybe I just need to get out more. Do you want to find a body with the money or just the body? I think I maybe just the money, though. <laughs> I would be actually. A body wouldn't hurt. Body, oh, uh, Yeah. I'd be so suspicious if I was just running and I found like a bunch of $100 bills on the ground. I would think something horrible happened still. Yeah. <laughs> Even if there's not a body there, I'm like, some- like, this guy wasn't suspicious. He was having a great oh time. Oh my God. He was just picking up money off of the beach and like running in the water to grab it. He had not a care in the world. So yeah, he finds a whole bunch of money on the beach in the ocean and then he goes to grab one of the ones in the water and he finds two dead bodies floating face down nearby and then he promptly runs away. Detective Via gets called to the scene, and when she arrives, the two bodies have been brought onto the beach from the water. They are two men that are handcuffed together. One of them is clothed only in in an undershirt and underwear, and Rosewood arrives at the scene soon after. He's in a bright yellow convertible like always. It's very classic Rosewood. And he sees some mild bloating and slight discoloration in the abdomen, which are early signs of decomp. For those who don't know about bodies found in water, normally fresh water, it's normally fresh waters, like around, I guess around us, there's more fresh water than salt water. Um, but salt water actually kills a lot of the bacteria that aids in the decomp process. So you kind of decomp slower in salt water. And then the, so the bacteria from that salt water, it needs to work through the body a lot more to make up for lost time, for a lack of better terms. So you do decomp at a faster rate in fresh water than salt water. However, it's really all based on the temperature of the water too and the time of year. That plays an important role. So obviously cold water slows down the decomp rate. I don't know what time of year this is, but they're in Miami. So I'm assuming that it's hot no matter what. And the ocean probably is like a comfortable degree to get in. It's just always hot. So he notes... The pruning on the hands and feet and guesses that these men were in the water for about 12 to 13 hours, which kind of sounds accurate, but I don't know. I really I tried to find it and I couldn't find too much information on like what a body would look like at that time. I Yeah, I feel like it was trickier too. Also, he said like he saw bloating and discoloration and like they just looked like two guys to me <laughs> right they look totally normal he's like i see some slight bloating and discoloration and i'm like rosa where are you i'm like you are you this? calling them fat though because <laughs> is the discoloration in the room with us right now i don't see it <laughs> but i'm guessing they're just saying because of the slower decomp rate in the water 12 to 13 hours mm-hmm. yeah your hands would be so pruny after 12 to 13 hours my hands get pruny after a half hour shower i know So just then, another person also shows up and notes that fish have seemed to nibble one of the guy's ears and lips away, and he also notes that one of them has the name Cecilia tattooed on the shoulder. So scavengers in water, they are fish, some shark species, catfish and eels are also known to be scavengers, as well as crabs, lobster, and shrimp. 
just to give some background on that. Wait, I don't know why shrimp freaks me out. That little shrimps are just eating people. So they kind of, crabs, lobster, and shrimp kind of get like the debris leftover from, I guess, other scavengers. Yeah, they're not like actively hunting for like flesh, but I don't know why that just freaked me out to like, I, I knew this, <laughs> but hearing it again, I'm like, oh yeah, little shrimp. Nibbles. Shrimp. <laughs> shrimp can eat us and then we eat shrimp. <laughs> Fish are friends, not food. I mean, <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't eat them, but <laughs> people do. The captain introduces this man as another private pathologist named Mitchie Mendelson, and he had asked to help with this case. And he didn't know Via was going to call Rosewood in. And Rosewood is clearly not happy about this, but the captain pulls him aside to tell him that Mitchie costs half of what Rosewood does, and that his boss has been on him about budget cuts, so they had to go with the cheaper pathologist on this case. Rosewood tries to convince the captain that he is worth the money by continuing to examine the bodies and noting linear contusions on the wrist and ankles. He says this is evidence of blunt force trauma, and he also notes arrested evolution, aka the bruising spotted at a center point. And Mitchie chimes in that he sees asymmetry of the calves on one of the decedents, which suggests thrombosis of the legs. So thrombosis, we see this a lot at work. It occurs when blood clots block the veins or arteries, so your blood can't function properly. Mm -hmm. It's actually why I started wearing, like, compression socks more often. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot in their calf, yeah. Yeah, because my, even just when I started working at the office, I was on my feet so much and then, like, I'd notice, like, my legs would be, like, swollen, like, towards the end of the day mm -hmm. just because I wasn't used to being on my legs so much. Like, my legs and ankles would get swollen. So I started wearing compression socks at work. Just knows this. It <laughs> well, makes a difference. It does. Yeah. Rosewood finishes Mitchie's sentence by saying this is often caused by hours of Im immobility, like driving or flying. Mitchie and Rosewood say at the same time that this guy must have traveled here, so he's an out-of-towner. The captain says that they can each get a body, but he wants results in half the time at no extra cost. That just seems wild. I think that this may be our only red flag yeah. of this episode because I feel like this situation and this scenario of two, patholo two private pathologists coming in and each getting a body for, like, the sa they're the same case. You wouldn't, I feel like this would never happen. I feel like it shouldn't. I mean, I know, I mean, spoiler alert, down the line, they both end up looking at the bodies, like, both bodies, and, like, comparing results. But, like, it just seems like such a weird thing to do when the captain's like, all right, you guys prove yourselves to me. You each pick a body and get me the result. Like, this is a homicide investigation. You can't just have these pathologists, like, competing for your attention with it. <laughs> I also, sorry, I love Rosewood. It's a very entertaining show if you guys haven't watched it yet. I'm I'm just still so confused at his role because he's a private pathologist. These bodies were found outside in a body of water. This is a medical examiner's case. Miami-Dade ME should be taking over. I was wondering that too because like Via says, she's like, I always call Rosewood in. Like he's the pathologist that we use. And he's like, well, I'm using a different private pathologist this time. I'm like, why are you using private pathologists? Like, is this how Miami works? Like... Other people right. that work at other offices, do you just bring in outside private people to do your autopsies? Or I feel like there's got to be an Emmy system or a coroner system. I know. Where's the line of jurisdiction? Yeah. This whole show is just a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> this, for real. 
It's it's taken me this long to realize that. <laughs> I know. Well, just when they were saying, because usually Rose would just comes and inserts himself in it. Uh, yeah, all the time. But like this, they're like, we're having some other private pathologist insert himself in it too. And I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> Where's your pathologist? You guys are going to compete and I'm going to pick who's better. Whoever does the best <laughs> autopsy wins. Like, no, you can't do that with a homicide <laughs> or any investigation. Like, you can't do that. So anyway, Mitchie and Rosewood agree. So then back at Rosewood's office, they have one of the bodies there that they're autopsying. And I just want to say that this body doesn't look very realistic here, to be honest. Yeah. If they do the classic thing where they show like an autopsied body, but they just peel like a flap of skin back instead of like all of the muscle and all that mm-hmm. fat and stuff it's just like a layer of skin and then the organs are right underneath and i'm like no there's a few things you got to cut through to get to the organs so rosewood asks his sister who's the tech at the office how the lung sections are coming along she comes back and says the lungs are positive for coci which is a this guy has this fungus in it and rosewood says that this can help them figure out where the decedent came from rosewood goes to share his results with the precinct and Mitchie's already there sharing his results Mitchie shares that the body he examined, the one who didn't have pants, was alive when he entered the water. He had shallow cuts and bruises over most of his body, as well as a bunch of contusions, including a puncture to the throat that was shaped like the letter D. Rosewood shares that his decedent was choked before he was drowned. He found signs of blows to the abdomen and inferior thorax, and that's just like a fancy word or another word for... Basically everything below your diaphragm, which is also kind of your abdomen. He's saying the same thing twice. I know. And this caused a minor splenic laceration or a spleen tear. So together, Mitchie and Rosewood believe that the men were beat up and then thrown into the water to die. Mitchie still doesn't know the identity of this decedent, but he shares that he found Kogai in his decedent's lung. Uh, which is soil fungus native to California's center valley that can affect the lungs. And this is actually true. It's called cocci diodocysosis, if I'm saying that right, or valley fever. And this is an infection that typically affects the lungs, and it's caused by a fungus found in soil in southwestern U.S. or California. So I think that we should give a green flag for this because it's actually accurate as to what they're talking about in the show, not just something they made up. So Rosewood guesses that his decedent is from Stockton. Via becomes concerned that the precinct and the captain are liking this new pathologist, Mitchie, too much, and she doesn't want Rosewood to get replaced. She tells Rosewood that he needs to take his gloves off for this one. Rosewood doesn't think it's necessary and thinks his work will speak for itself. Rosewood and Mitchie swap reports. Rosewood says that based on the similar bruising, both decedents were attacked by the same guy. He guesses the attacker was a man, medium build, similar in size to the decedents. Mitchie says that he found triphenyl phosphates in the cuts on the decedent's shoulder, and he says that this is a main ingredient in nail polish. So, guys can wear nail polish too, we're not discriminating against whether the attacker was male or female. Uh, Mitchie is though. (laughs) (laughs) We don't like Mitchie. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't mind him, he was kind of funny. But Rosewood points out that the ingredient is also found in beds and paints and in a thousand other things. Mitchie says that as a pathologist, he has to trust his gut, and his gut is screaming the killer is a woman. 
an officer comes in and says that a woman just filed a missing persons report that matches one of the John Doe's, the decedent that Rosewood was working on. His name is David Gaines, and they go to talk to the wife who filed the missing persons report, and she says that she can't understand how this happened. They only flew in last night, and they've never been to Miami before. She goes on to say that whenever they got into an argument, David would go on a walk. There was a coffee shop nearby their house that he would go to and sit in a booth in the back and sip his tea. After he would come back, they would be fine, and she says that he was just the kind of guy who needed to collect his thoughts. She says that this is why when David ran off the night before, she wasn't even worried. Mrs. Gaines said that they had gotten into a fight about money problems last night, and that's why he ran off from the hotel. They show her a picture of the other decedent, but she says she, she doesn't recognize him. But she asks Mrs. Gaines where they're from, and she says Michigan, but that she and David grew up in Stockton, California. Later, Via checks with the hotel where David and his wife were staying and confirms this alibi, that she never left the hotel that night. Back at Rosewood's office, Pippi says that she ran the diatoms, which is a unicellular organism that have thousands of varieties specific to certain locations. So from the diatoms, Pippi was able to narrow down what stretch of water the bodies entered the water in from. And Mitchie is in Rosewood's lab talking to one of the techs and they're bonding over how they both want a Lodox, which our facility has and we're obsessed with it. So I thought that was cool that they brought it up. I know. And they even got like all the info right. I know. I don't know if they thought, is that a green flag? Maybe another green flag for them. Just for that. Yeah. Because they, they mentioned you can do a full body scan in 13 seconds, which is true. Which is why we love our Lodox. It's so convenient. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's such a time saver. We're not being paid by Lodox to say that, by the way. We just really like our Lodox. Not, it's not sponsored, <laughs> but we do want to sponsor We're not us. sponsored, but hey, Lodox, if you want to sponsor us, please do. So later, Rosewood and Via go to investigate the marina where the bodies may have been dropped to find that Mitchie is already there. He was able to use specific algae from the decedent's body, from his decedent's body, to find the location. This is like the pathologist version of, like, parent trap. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> they separate two bodies from the same scene, and they're like, all right, let's see if we can solve this murder first. It's not like the parent trap at all. I was just thinking of that. <laughs> I just love that movie. <laughs> it's like this, but not really. It's like this, but not at all. <laughs> he says he showed us the scene's picture around the yacht club and was able to find out that his person's name was Johnny Hines. While they're walking around the marina, they see a boat named Cecilia of the Sea, and they guess that must be Johnny's because of the tattoo he had that says Cecilia. So they go onto the boat and like, can they do that? Can they just, like, walk onto this boat that might be a crime scene? Don't they need a warrant? I was wondering, I was like, if it's a crime scene do they need a warrant like i i know via is a detective but these are just two private pathologists like can they just walk onto someone's yacht i don't know how yachts work there wasn't even like crime scene tape or anything down i know because they don't know that it's a crime scene yet nobody knew it was the crime scene where the body was found where the bodies were dumped mm -hmm. from anyway they just waltz onto this boat and find a bunch of like pizza boxes and empty wine bottles and also some blood on the floor near like the stairs to the lower deck of the boat. Via gets out her, her gun and calls out to see if anyone is there. They all walk downstairs to see a bedroom with various blood spatter around that seems to line up with what they think happened to their victims. Via finds a high heel shoe with blood on the heel, and they figure this must be what made the D-shaped puncture in Johnny's throat. So it is possible that the killer is a woman, but hey, anybody could have worn those heels. 
They're making a lot of assumptions. Back at the precinct, Via is telling everyone that she got a DNA match on the heel that they found. It belongs to a woman named Jackie Sloan. She is 35 and a high-end dominatrix. And she has quite the rap sheet. The captain thinks that maybe Johnny Hines invited David onto his boat for a threesome with this Jackie woman. Rosewood says that both the victims had recent bruising, but that Johnny had evidence of past injuries suggesting whips and chains. Again, just like bold assumptions, but I mean. And at that point, Via's like, you know way too much about dominatrixes, Rosewood. And they get into like a weird, like there's a lot of weird talk (laughs) between all of them. There's a lot of dialogue that we specifically chose to leave out. It's just all about threesomes and dominatrixes. If you're interested, watch the episode. (laughs) They bring Jackie Sloan, the dominatrix, in for questioning. She tells the captain that in her line of (laughs) this line I just loved, she tells the captain her line of work isn't different from his because they, quote, both put people in handcuffs and get them to follow the rules. (laughs) I literally laughed out loud. I was like, oh, Jackie, you're funny. The captain starts asking her about what happened last night, and he says that they know that she had a threesome with Johnny and David. She seems very confused by this and says that she only does one-on-ones. The captain shows her that they have her shoe as evidence, but she still claims to not know what he's talking about. The captain goes on to say that they know that Johnny withdrew 200K from the bank yesterday, but only a couple of thousand of that washed up on shore. She says that she never saw two guys and she never saw that much cash. And she says somebody knocked her out. And she also says that she doesn't have to steal because she's good at her job. Rosewood says that there was bruising on the back of Jackie's head that is consistent with her story about getting knocked out. Rosewood also says that he wants to take a look at Johnny, the body that Mitchie autopsied, because he thinks Mitchie must have missed something. Mitchie says he'll agree to Rosewood doing a second exam on Johnny if he can do a second exam on David. So they bring the bodies back to Rosewood's office for both doctors to examine the other body side by side so they're like racing autopsies it's really there's a really weird tension in the room because they're all just like they're all just like trying to be the first person to do the autopsy and find the answer i'm like all right guys let's not forget what we're doing here it's always got to be a pissing contest so yeah cue the montage of autopsy scenes and organs being pulled up out of the body that look very fake they just worked together from the beginning yeah this wasn't what was the show that this was not body of proof this wasn't a body of proof standard body of proof had like some of the best fake organs i've seen besides autopsy of jane doe rosewood in miami needs to go to philly to work with dr hunt yeah dr megan hunt and her fake brain (laughs) that looked really real So Via comes into the morgue. Rosewood says it doesn't look like Mitchie missed anything. Via says she found something interesting when reviewing David and Johnny's financial records. And Mitchie chimes in and correctly guesses that it was online gambling. They had a third person involved in this gambling that was named Dunk City Sal online. Via thinks that if they find this Sal, they'll find their killer. And Mitchie says that they will also probably find the rest of the money. Rosewood asks how Mitchie knew that the victims were online gamblers, and he says that he observed carpal tunnel in their hands, spinal injuries that are common to people who sit for long periods of time, as well as old sports injuries. He says once he was able to look at both bodies, the evidence was all there, and Rosewood must have just missed it. Oh, damn. Back at the precinct, Via is looking through the message boards to find Dunk City Sal. Mitchie comes by to chat, and she tells him that Dunk City Sal seemed to make a habit of threatening people on message boards. I love when people do that. Just kidding. I hate when people. Rude. Rude people. 
He's probably also fun on Twitter. I, I don't even have a Twitter. Twitter just seems like a dumpster fire to me. It seems scary. <laughs> It, it is. Thea has a realization that Johnny went to the same sports bar on the same days at the same times during football and baseball season. So she thinks that he was meeting Dunk City Sal there. Thea goes to investigate and Mitchie just follows along. Back at his private practice, Rosewood sees that Mitchie posted a picture with Thea at the sports bar and decides to go confront them. I also want to know... Okay, so one, the captain was saying that they're making budget cuts and they can't afford Rosewood, but now they're paying for Rosewood and another pathologist. Also, does Rosewood never get any other cases? Mm-hmm. Like, is he just... I feel like he's been working on this case for a few days. He always just does, like, the one cases that they need. Does Yeah, because does he just do autopsies for Via and her cases? Yeah, does he only work with her? I mean, they're in Miami. They're in a major city. People are dying all the time. Is he not doing any other autopsies for Miami? Or is he only doing them for Via? He has to afford this high-end lab. Oh, yeah. So he needs to be making money. His lab is insane. He calls himself the Beethoven of forensic pathology also. The whole episode. <laughs> and I'm like, who are you? Oh, apparently he's the Beethoven of forensic pathology. I kind of love him, though. So it's fine. So he goes to confront them at the sports bar. And he confronts Via at the bar and he says, he's a pathologist. There's no reason he needs to go on an investigation with you like this. Like we say. Say that again, but slower. <laughs> every time we watch this show, Rosewood must listen to the pod. <laughs> and Via also finds this funny and calls him out for being a hypocrite. A bartender comes over and Via shows him a picture of David and Johnny. The bartender doesn't recognize David, but says Johnny is in there all the time with a friend of his, Sal. Via asks to talk to Sal, and the bartender says he's around there somewhere. He points him out for them, and they go over to talk to him, but Sal runs for it. They chase him through the bar, through the kitchen, and into the parking garage. Sal jumps into his convertible. Everybody just drives convertible in the show. It's Miami. It's Miami. Everybody's got a convertible. And we see that he has a duffel bag full of cash in his driver's seat. He speeds off and almost hits Rosewood and Via in the parking garage, and he's about to escape. When Mitchie blocks him with his private pathology van. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention. He has this giant blue van that he just drives. Does he do autopsies in the van? Is that his whole thing? I think that's his home. I think he lives out of his van. Yeah. They do say that later. But he it's like has like on the side that it's like his pathology practice. And I'm like, are you just like an on the go? I think so. Maybe. So is it also a cooler van? Because does he keep the bodies in there when he's... I doubt it. Doing his... Man, what's the game plan then? <laughs> so they bring Sal in for questioning, and Sal admits to betting with David and Johnny and being on the yacht the night of the murder. And he also had the rest of the money that was missing from the yacht. But Rosewood still thinks they have the wrong guy. He saw thenar atrophy in Sal's palm. So thenar atrophy is a sign of severe and prolonged medial nerve compression and is an indication for carpal tunnel. So he doesn't think Sal is strong enough to strangle David. Via doesn't agree with this and tells Rosewood to take a step back. However, later on that night, Via reconsiders and tells him that she trusts Rosewood's instincts and decides that the two of them, without Mitchie, should look into this further. She tells him that she looked deeper into David and found that his cell phone had pinged five times in Miami that year. So it was his wife's first time in Miami, but not David's. He was lying to his wife, but why? They know that the two of them were having money troubles and that Sal, David, and Johnny were all betting online together. Johnny and Sal were high rollers and had more money to burn, but David couldn't keep up. 
and one bad bet could have cost him his entire savings. But Johnny and Sal were free to blow all the money they wanted as they pleased. They think the money stress and the gambling was ruining David's marriage and that he came to Miami to get back his buy-in, but that Johnny and Sal wouldn't give it to him. They think David came to Miami to get his life back, but ended up dead. Fia and Rosewood decide that they need to get another look at the bodies. So they go back to Rosewood's practice, and he looks at Johnny's stomach contents and finds what Mitchie had originally said was an undigested bean. However, Rosewood discovers that it's actually a piece of David's earlobe. So Rosewood concludes that the two men killed each other. He thinks that after winning his bets, Johnny went back to his yacht to celebrate. He tossed all his money on the bed and all around the yacht and hired Jackie, the dominatrix. David came to the yacht to talk to Johnny about getting just the money he had put originally into the bet back. And he walked in on Johnny and Jackie and saw all the money on the floor and on the bed and just scrambled trying to get as much as he could. He pushed Jackie off of Johnny and off of the bed, which knocked her out. Johnny struggled to unhandcuff himself from the bed as David tried to get away with all the money. Johnny was finally able to unhandcuff himself and started to fight David. He started to strangle David, and David reached for Jackie's high heel shoe in self-defense and stabbed Johnny in the neck. Johnny started to lose blood fast, and he knew he was dying, but he still didn't want David to get away with the money, so Johnny handcuffed himself to David and continued the struggle until the two men fell overboard, where they ultimately drowned. The episode ends with Rosewood and Mitchie having a heart-to-heart. Rosewood asks Mitchie why he got into pathology, and Mitchie tells him that when he was 12, his dad had a heart attack while driving and swerved into traffic, killing both of his parents. He said he ID'd the bodies, even though police didn't need him to, and that he got a copy of the coroner's report and looked up every word he didn't understand. He says to Rosewood, death has its own language, and I wanted to be able to speak it. Rosewood then offers him a job at his practice, which he agrees to. And so he doesn't have to live in his van anymore because he says that he's been doing that too, which made me really sad. I thought that was a really sweet ending because they both, they started off and Rosewood's like, was hating on him, but then he like grew to love him. How sweet. Yeah. They were competing against each other, but they have so much in common. They both have this passion for their job. Yeah. And and he's so right when he says that death does have its own language. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there are so many post-mortem changes that happen and, like, there are specific words that we use in, like, our everyday language and in autopsy reports specifically Mm -hmm. that, like, normal people who aren't in the industry, like, laymen, they, it's not something that, like, you would, you would see it and you're not, you're not going to understand if you're not, if you haven't studied it. Yeah, I really liked that line, too. I was like, yeah, I speak death's language. I'm fluent in death. <laughs> I speak death. But I did I did like what he said, although his whole backstory was tragic. Like, that's so sad. It was sad. It didn't need to be that sad. He's like, oh, so you got traumatized into this. Like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, that's so sad. I'm so sorry. Aww. There's a special place in my heart for him now. I know. He's like a very playful guy, too. And he's like always joking, trying to be nice to everybody. And Rosewood is like, oh, this guy's just... I know, he was bringing donuts in for all the office staff. That always makes me think of Dexter, though. (laughs) Because that's what Dexter does. He's always (laughs) the guy that brings in donuts. And then when some... (laughs) Is Mitchie secretly a serial killer? I did kind of think that at one point. I was like, wait, how crazy would it be if Mitchie's the killer? But I knew it was. They're introducing this new character 
And the end of season one. Ooh. Yep. I thought it was going to be the wife. Mm-hmm. I thought the threesome theory was correct and that the wife found out and killed him with a high heel shoe, but it wasn't. That would have been a good plot, too. I was waiting for that. I was like waiting for her to find out that it wasn't his first time in Miami and for her to freak out about the money stuff and like mm-hmm. find him having a threesome and be like, what is happening? And then kill him with a high heel shoe. I like that. Well, they should have done that. They, I, I wish the shows did alter, alternative endings, yeah. and we can see that. <laughs> you can do like a choose your own adventure, like but with the show. Yeah. Who do you want to be the killer? <laughs> a Bandersnatch, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love Bandersnatch. <laughs> okay, so there was obviously a lot going on in this crime in this episode, but the part that really stuck out to us was the fact that a high heel shoe was used as the murder weapon, which is not your typical murder weapon. Have you ever thought that? Sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent real quick. <laughs> As I, I mean, maybe this is just my anxious brain, but I feel like a lot of women think like this sometimes. Like if you're ever out and you're just thinking about all like worst case scenario, have you ever thought of like, OK, what can I use as a weapon? I've thought of my shoe before. I'm like, all right, if I'm wearing heels, I, I I've thought of it. I'm like, if yeah. I really need to, I could take this shoe off and hit somebody in the face with it. I also, when I used to work more night shifts um, at like a previous job, I would walk to my car with my key in between my fingers. Yeah, that is a classic move for a lot of women and a lot mm-hmm. of people who feel unsafe at night. I actually have, so I have a pair of high heel shoes and the heel on the back of the heels are like spikes Ooh. and they're actually like painful spikes. And I'm like, if I am ever wearing those out, I'm like, all right, I have a weapon, but stab. <laughs> it's stab. <laughs> but what's even better. My mom bought me a matching clutch and the clutch has like brass That's knuckles amazing. and like, but on the brass knuckles are spikes and they're, they're real spikes. And like, it looks like just like a cute, like edgy clutch, but it's like, no, 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 this, will hurt if i hit you with this <laughs> and so my mom got it. yeah i love it and so yeah those are my two weapons of choice but as soon as they're like yeah he got stabbed with a high heel shoe i'm like i've thought of if i ever needed a self-defense weapon i've thought of a high heel shoe i know it's unfortunate but like i, th- I think of it a lot when i'm out i'm like all right what's on me i isn't that sad yeah that like that's the world that we live in where i'm like okay what can i use as a weapon like i have my big like heavy water bottle and i'm like all right if i need to i can bash somebody in the head with this <laughs> if they try to attack me like and that's just like a normal thought that i'm thinking when i'm walking to my car and i'm like yep this is this is what it's like sometimes being an anxious person in a world <laughs> it's dangerous for women I've, a lot of people say so like i do martial arts a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're a weapon yourself. But my fight or flight instinct is to freeze. Are you a freezer? Uh-huh. I have, <laughs> I don't know if I'm fight or flight. I have, there is, <laughs> when Kos and I first moved in together, he scared me once. He was like trying to be cute and funny and they're like, boo. And <laughs> I pushed him against the, like, I don't know where this came from. I've never taken martial arts i've never been in any kind of fight i like pushed him against the wall with my left arm and like had my like right arm up i was like oh my god and he's like what the hell and i was like i'm used to being a woman living alone i didn't know you were home from work i just got out of the shower i'm like who's in my home and he's like where did this come from i'm like i don't know i know i hear a hair noise in my house i just stand there and like who is there but then in other cases i had my one of my best friends ashley (laughs) 
when we were in college once she jumped i like was staying at her dorm room and i like came back from the bathroom and she like jumped out and scared me i just hugged her (laughs) straight up just hugged her i screamed and hugged her and she's like i hope you're that's not your fight or flight instinct and i'm like i don't know what my fight or flight is you're gonna get robbed and you're gonna go hug your robber oh my god don't rob me i just give him a giant hug (laughs) so yeah i don't i'm just all over the place depends on the day but i feel like if I was really in danger, I'd freeze. Dom can attest. I I freeze. <laughs> He's gonna listen to this and then text me immediately when when we're talking about it. <laughs> I feel like if it really came to it, you could kick some ass, though. I think I could. Well, you, I know you could. Definitely, my first reaction is to not do yeah. anything. Like if I don't move, the danger can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a T Rex. If I don't move, they don't see me. <laughs> but anyway, this made us think of. The tragic murder of Dr. Stefan Anderson at the hands of Anna Trujillo. Dr. Stefan Anderson was an accomplished biochemist and research professor at the University of Houston. He arrived at his home in, in Houston in the early morning hours of June 9th, 2013, with his ex-girlfriend, Anna Trujillo, after the two had been out drinking. At 3.41 a.m., Trujillo called 911. She yelled that Anderson was about to die and that she was so distraught that the 911 operator could barely understand her. Trujillo had stabbed Anderson 25 times with her size 9, 5-inch high-heeled pump. By the time paramedics arrived on scene, it was too late to save Anderson. Trujillo claimed self-defense. According to her, Dr. Anderson wanted to get back together and attacked her when he told him she wasn't interested. Friends of Anderson described him as kind and gentle and claimed that he would never lay hands on a woman. Anderson was a Swedish-born biochemist who came to America in 1986 and became a U.S. citizen 10 years after that. During the Brenner trial, he was portrayed as a gracious and mild-mannered person. He had a drinking problem, which the university he had worked at had sent him to rehab for in 2010, but he relapsed and began drinking again in 2012 when he met Trujillo. Trujillo was 15 years younger than Anderson. She sometimes worked as a massage therapist and had previous arrests for DWIs and public intoxication, and prosecutors during the trial accused Trujillo of beating Anderson to a bloody pulp, but Trujillo's defense attorney claimed that Anderson had become violent in the drunken rage that night and that Trujillo acted in self-defense. He claimed that Trujillo used the only weapon at her disposal, her stiletto. The state called officer Chris Duncan as their forensic expert. Duncan was a 17-year veteran of the Houston Police Department's crime scene unit, and during the trial, Duncan shared his crime scene photos that showed some gruesome up-close photos of of Anderson's body. On cross-examination, Trujillo's defense attorney tried to plant the seed of doubt for the jury by claiming that Trujillo could have gotten blood on her by attempting to revive Anderson with CPR. The seven-minute tape of the 911 call was played, where Trujillo could be heard pleading, Breathe, Stefan, breathe, as the operator instructed her on what to do. EMS had arrived at the scene at 3.58 a.m., 19 minutes after Trujillo called, and announced Anderson dead at the scene. The ME who performed the autopsy was Dr. Jennifer Ross, and she ruled that the cause of death was blunt force, head, and facial trauma, with the manner of death being homicide. She counted 25 small contusions and lacerations that matched the shoe's stiletto tip. During the trial, Dr. Ross 
described similarly shaped bruises on Anderson's wrists and hands, indicating defensive wounds. Dr. Ross qualified in her testimony that cause of death and mechanism of death were are different and that it was a possibility that Anderson bled to death, but it's also possible that stress had triggered an adrenaline rush leading to a heart attack. Trujillo was never called as a witness during the trial, but the prosecutors did play a three and a half hour tape of her interview with homicide detectives, and this interview conducted five hours after police arrived at the scene. It was clear in the tape that Trujillo had not slept and was possibly hungover. In the interview, she claimed that she had issues with men becoming completely obsessed with her and claimed that it was always turning to an abusive side. She said she was loving and cared too much, and she called herself a very spiritual person who only wants to help people. When she started discussing Anderson during the interview, the detectives read her Miranda rights and she waved and continued talking. She claimed that Anderson was her fiancé and was completely obsessed with her. She said she told him she didn't want to be involved romantically and that Anderson became jealous when another man had bought her a drink at the bar that they were at. She then jumped right to discussing the fight at Anderson's condo. She said that Anderson started wrestling her and got on top to suffocate her. That's when she grabbed her shoe and hit him. She said that he started bleeding and she started doing mouth to mouth. She asked the detectives if Anderson was really dead and when they told her that he was, she said, he assaulted me. During the trial, the prosecution also showed security footage from inside the bar where Trujillo and Anderson had been drinking. They also had testimony from the woman who took Trujillo and Anderson home in the cab that night. She testified that Trujillo was yelling threats and curses the entire way home. She also claimed that before getting in the cab, Anderson had to go back into the bar three times to get Trujillo to leave. The security footage corroborated this, and in the courtroom, Trujillo was allegedly smiling and laughing watching the security tapes. It took the jury two hours of deliberation to return with a guilty verdict. Two days later, after four hours of deliberation, they handed down the maximum sentence of life in prison. And we got all this information from a Texas Monthly article by Al Reinhardt titled High Heel Homicide and an ABC Houston article titled Texas True Crime, The Shocking Case of Stiletto Killer Anna Trujillo, and both of which will be linked in our show notes if you want to read more about her. That is crazy. That is an insane case. I know we say that every time. And I also think um abc houston like the texas true crime they might also have a podcast about this specifically this case Mm -hmm. but i think they talk more to anderson like stefan anderson's family and like hit people his friends and stuff and they give more of like his side of things so that might be something interesting if you guys want to also listen to that but this whole thing is just crazy and i thought it was interesting and i want to ask you about it how the forensic expert who the crime scene investigator he showed like gruesome photos at the trial which i know we have to be very careful in our autopsy photos to make sure it's like as clean as we can make it because sometimes certain photos can't be used because they might sway the jury if they're so gruesome and i think something i read said the defense actually objected to one of the photos because they left it up on the screen too long and it was like a gruesome like close-up i think of anderson's face which apparently looked pretty gnarly as i would imagine from this kind of attack but yeah like we have to like try and take very clean photos as clean as we can 
and like no excessive blood because yeah i'm not sure it can sway a jury yeah i'm not sure if there's like an actual like written rule when you're trying to get photos in as evidence to the judge like who has they like they have to approve it i think i don't know if there's like an actual rule about what photos and like how excessive or gruesome they can be uh, to the point where like they're not taken in as evidence to show to the jury but i feel like this was in 2013 maybe new laws have been written now about not showing excessive and gruesome photos if you don't need to to make your point because that definitely like sways the jury one way because they're looking at this photo and seeing how awful it is instead of right and now now they're only thinking about that and they might not be listening to everything else that's being said during the trial right like if you're looking at a horrible horrible crime scene photo and you have someone telling you this person sitting right here did this like you're gonna look at them different and you're not gonna listen to all the facts that are being presented yeah yeah i just thought that was interesting that they made a point to say like how gruesome the crime scene photos that were shown to the jury were i was like interesting yeah because all of our photos if they are being shown or if they are gonna we know the case is gonna go to court if it's like a homicide case we make sure to take very clean photos so jury Mm-hmm. doesn't have to see blood because some people are more queasy yeah. about blood than others and jerry you're supposed to look at the facts and you're not supposed to think about disgusting blood and in photos right yeah we're supposed to look at all the evidence presented as we learned from crossing jordan <laughs> she was very about the evidence <laughs> <laughs> So to end this episode, we tallied a total of two green flags and one red flag for Rosewood. So this episode passes for us, but let us know if you think we missed anything. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy this podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram and Patreon. We'll be back next week with a brand new dissection. 